0: Thanks for downloading today's UW Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen, and today we're speaking with a couple of lads from HUM, Andy Henson and Ian McIntyre. HUM's a neuroscience startup working to bring the incredible results of neuroscience research out of the lab and into non-invasive wearables that improve the quality of life for everyday people. HUM is the maker of the first affordable wearable patch for providing electrical stimulation to your brain. Ian gave insight into where the idea came from to start HUM. Andy talks about um, not being the first startup he's been involved in and his learnings from it. They discussed the Berkeley Skydeck Accelerator, what life in San Francisco is really like, and the impact that Perth and UWA have had on their careers. Podcast starts now. Now, Ian, where did the idea to start Hum, a wearable patch that gently stimulates the brain's natural rhythms to strengthen memory, come from?
1: It came out of uh, the the mind of Dr. Tim Fury, one of my co-founders, and and I's conversation um, over the course of several years. Back in about 2012, Tim was involved in some research using powerful magnets um, on the brain at the um, Harry Perkins Research Institute, some UWA research that he, as a medical student, got involved in as a a helper. Um, He actually ended up being a a co-publisher um, he brought me in um, for a pretty interesting ride uh, to test that technology and, and be a, a healthy control participant. They were looking at how to use magnetic signals to regrow connections and and, and fix problems in the brain that arised, uh, arose after um, car accidents. Um, and, and that introductory experience to the technology where I had this big machine strapped on my head um, that zapped me and made my arms and legs go out of control unexpectedly was what really started Tim and I on a conversation about how this technology had evolved and what it could do now and what it might be able to do in the future that went for about five or six years and involved various people along the way, various scientists and um, people who had run businesses, entrepreneurs, et cetera, technologists, uh, until we came to the conclusion that there was a gap in the industry that we were really excited by, um, a gap in where the technology had not really translated out of the lab where, where scientists were seeing great results, but no one in the real world was familiar with it or finding it useful. And so we said to ourselves, we have to find a way to make it actually useful for people and grow this industry, which has incredible potential for the future in a, in a world that has many urgent needs for the ability to tune the brain. Um, and that's, that's how it got started. And we, we did our own research, we built our own things and tested them. Um, and here we are about four years after starting the company officially, maybe six or seven years after starting the conversations that started the company. And now we're in Berkeley doing our own research with a uh, lab at UCSF as well
0: and um, getting ready to ship our product. Now you're making it all sound somewhat relatively easy. Like, yeah, we thought we saw a gap in the market. Now, how many times did you think, all right, this is too hard. Did you ever really want to quit? Did you, did you ever get to a point where you never have thought that it ever become a product and ready to ship out?
1: Uh, I've been losing a lot
0: of hair over the last four years. Uh, <laughs> There are, there are
1: entrepreneurship um, in general, I think, but also like particularly the tech startup with a moonshot vision is a real roller coaster ride. Andy and I have both mm-hmm. had moments of despair. It's part of the journey. There've been big disagreements. There have been big, um, big changes in our lives that have had to um, accommodate our passion for doing what we're doing as a business, mm-hmm. you know, like girlfriends um, that we had to move away from wives in the case of Tim, um, Challenges, you know, like not being able to be with our family during the COVID um, situation, for example. But, um, yeah, many times when the the bank balance has got low, um, a test result hasn't come back um, as well as we wanted to. We've had to reinvigorate ourselves and continue on the path. But thankfully, it seems that the roller coaster is on a continuous upward trend and we're really excited to be doing what we're doing.
0: Now, Andy, this isn't your first startup that you've been part of, is it? no no um
2: so yeah out of uh, right out of uwa actually a friend of mine and i um did co-found our first startup called picky um so for me yeah for, for me there was a, a lot of learnings i guess that i took from that um and that i brought into Hum. um and it, it it also kind of set the set the tone for me as well you know i think it's it's always it's always uh, an interesting thing doing doing uh, engineering at uwa particularly in australia um where the whole job market is kind of saturated by mining and resources I Feel that if you don't kind of s- settle within that industry early um, it's c- it's kind of hard to like move out of that industry um, and so yeah for me I think um, jumping on board with Hum it certainly wasn't the ride that I had any idea of, of what it could be you know we didn't realize we'd end up in San Francisco we didn't realize we'd end up raising all this money and mm. have this kind of opportunity.
0: <laughs> now What's life like in San Francisco for you guys? Because from a from afar, everyone thinks of Silicon Valley. Oh, it must be amazing. They're going to be around all these entrepreneurs. They're going to be rolling in the cash. What's reality like? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I can answer this in a very nerdy way. So I think
2: that <laughs> it's really the, the 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 there is a huge spectrum of difference here um, within the Bay Area and San Francisco in general. If Australia has, you know, one standard deviation from the mean. I think there's three standard deviations <laughs> over here in San Francisco. Um, you just have a lot of everything. You know, you have um, people from all ends of the spectrum. You have, you know, very wealthy people. You have uh, a lot of homeless people here as well. Um, you got a lot of people in tech. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just an all-round completely different um, economic and social environment. Yeah,
1: that's mm. this certainly takes a lot of adjusting too, as well. Yeah, we've had, a, we've had a quite peculiar experience of San Francisco. We actually have always lived and worked in Berkeley, California, which is just over the bay from San Francisco, about mm-hmm. a half an hour train ride, um, about the same distance as the actual Silicon Valley is from Sa- the city of San Francisco. Uh, Silicon Valley kind of being the Palo Alto Mountain View area, we're mm-hmm. all based. But yeah, we've been really lucky, actually, the, the Berkeley Skydeck program, um, which is UC Berkeley or investment vehicle for startups commercializing science that are related to what goes on there, um, invested in us quite early, supported us by giving us a free office space as part of the accelerator program and um, gave us about 100x the, the network overnight that we would have otherwise been able to build if we just made the move alone. But, you know, the simple things like housing is really difficult to come by, especially good quality housing. As an Australian, you have a very high standard of housing and I think relative to the rest of the world. And when you come to San Francisco, you're going to be pretty shocked. That most of the houses are about 100 years old and not very nice. <laughs> but they cost about as much as a penthouse apartment in um, in, in the middle of the CBD in Perth. So. Um, we've been lucky to be able to have support and finding good housing, mm. friends to have amongst everything. You know, Berkeley is great, There's the the campus is here too. Um, San Francisco is a bit different to Berkeley, but overall the Bay Area is pretty interesting. We've had a a good experience though.
0: Mm. Now you, talk, you touched on the Skydeck Accelerator program there. It's a program that has seen $1 billion raised by Sky teams. How important was this program for HUM?
1: Essential, yeah. I think there were many other routes that we could have taken of course no no single part of the journey is um you know essential but um we have had some incredible success coming out of the berkeley skydeck program as a direct result of the great staff and vision that, that make up that program you know they're about investing in hard science and supporting those companies however they can with the things that they need especially companies that are moving from overseas which is the thing that Berkeley Skydeck does a bit different. Um, but just being able to be part of an ecosystem of like-minded people who are doing something like what you're, you're doing, uh, it's not insignificant to get a 100 grand US investment, which is what we had. Um, not at all insignificant um, on good terms. Um, there many, many benefits that I could talk about basically all day that have really changed what was possible for Hum. Some of our board members and uh, investors, angel investors, Came from the Berkeley Skydeck network, people who volunteered their time to try and help hard science and, and young teams. Uh, I could talk all day. It's been great.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I think from from my perspective too, being part of Berkeley Skydeck Accelerator is it's it's one of those things that you start the conversation with. You know, maybe in some instances you would start the conversation with your uh, which university you went to, what degree you have. But mm. I think for us, it, it's made the, the landing much softer um, coming into the Bay Area. Um, generally people know the Berkeley Skydeck program um, and I think just the level of exposure it gives you to talented people is something that I've really been personally benefiting from since since we joined the program and even after the program too I think it's on both a, a, a micro and macro level as well I think just day-to-day um, being around you know really smart engineers people that are on there cutting edge of hardware or AI or, you know, whatever it is you might be doing. Yep. But as in mentioned too, it's, it's about the advisors right. as well. So Skatic has a massive network of uh, what they call Sky Advisors. Um, and, uh, yeah, Hum has uh, definitely benefited from that. Um, I think, in, in, and this is not just in engineering, this is every aspect of the business.
1: Yeah, well. we would never have met the founder of Guitar Hero, who's one of our investors and, and advisors. I yeah.
2: love that game. I played so much
1: guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was fanboying over him when the the guys were telling me about
2: it before I moved over to SF. <laughs> yeah. is, is, is that the
0: is that the person where you've met and you've been have been is fangirling, or has there been someone else you, during your time that You're like, oh my god, I can't believe I've just met that. I reckon Kai is my favourite. Um, yeah. our,
1: our other co-founder met a lot of um, famous sports people. Um, who had turned to VC as a, as a thing to do after sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember their names. I'm sorry, I don't care about football. <laughs> um, uh, the other one that we met was T-Pain. T-Pain's actually turned into kind of like an innovation spokesperson. Get T-Pain. <laughs> um and he came over and filmed a documentary with one of our friends companies and we met him and
0: <laughs> that was pretty cool <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> now we came to a the seed funding. you talked about the hundred thousand dollars seed funding there now you have raised over three million dollars in funds what is the starting point for hum when seeking seed funding and is every co-founder in charge of seeking funds um it is a collaborative
1: thing among co-founders yeah um it- and chris our other co-founder were all really important in that journey and Andy too you know it's a whole company thing when it's only five or six of you at the time yeah um yeah so we've raised about three and a half us i think and and that translates these days to something like five and a half australian it's been a really incremental drip drip process what we're doing is a crazy idea we're open about that um it is really we believe a very possible thing but you know, it's a real big change in the world that we're pitching. Uh, real, a, a new technology that hasn't had commercial success before, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's hard science too. Um, so we had to convince, first of all, a couple of people to believe in us before we had anything to show. And that actually came out of the Space cube program in, in WA. Um, SpaceCubed uh, ran an accelerator called Plus8, which they still run and is a fantastic opportunity for tech startups in Perth. Um, that gave us our first check, about $40,000 from a couple of smart investors who put their money into Perth startups, Um, and then also just networked us with a couple of great advisors and investors that supported us um, to this day. People like Matt McFarlane, Andrew Larson, Tim Brewer, some of the greatest greatest voices of innovation and startups in Perth, Um, and that really was the very first bit of money we had. Second bit of money was we did a kind of a larger pre-seed round from about 10 angels, um, and then we did a, a seed round after having raised a check here and there from people like the founder of guitar Hero in the meantime, um, which was a two and a half million dollar round us from, um, a couple of really good VCs. Well. With the fund. Yeah. So, um, it is a, it is a whole team thing. It is a thing that takes time. Uh, it's an art raising money, uh, as well as the science. Um, but really it's about showing that your business has legs. And so we've done a lot in the last four years to do that. We've built prototypes, done customer testing, scientific testing. We've had validation from external neuroscientists. Mm-hmm. The Air Force we signed a partnership with, things like that. You know, you're just incrementally building this story that you're ready to go. And then someone shucks a couple of million dollars at you and you prove that you're ready to go to the next stage. That's how it works.
0: Now, Andy, is there a perception amongst maybe your friends or colleagues or, you know, counterparts that seem to think that raising seed funding is easy for you guys? um, It's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say people think it's easy.
2: People usually look at it with bewilderment, like, like, holy shit, that's so much money. Um, yeah. <laughs> how how does anyone come across that amount of money? Um, I think that it's also in the, in the messaging as well. You know, when, when we, um when we do like a, a LinkedIn post or any sort of PR release, it's not, you don't comment about, you know, how, Uh, many hours you spent slogging or how many hours, you know, uh, you're up there in the workshop building prototypes to get customer testing to present to VCs so that they can believe in the business. You sort of present it in a very like, like hooray, look at us. We just did this and and Mm -hmm. we're going to do more. So I think it's partly in the messaging as well. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, as Ian was saying, just sort of a, a, a lot of sacrifice on all fronts. And the funny, the funny thing is, and I'm sure Ian feels this more than I do, is that when you raise the money, it's, sort of part excitement, but part anxiety as well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all, all, all it's, still, it's still not your money, really. Mm. <laughs> You've got a lot of expectations um, and it really kind of solidifies, you know, it, it solidifies your own actions. It, it forces you to really like take stock of what you're actually doing um, because you, you're not just accountable to, to, to yourself anymore, right? I think that, that, that was certainly a thing when Carl um, uh, and I were going through the picky journey. Um, a lot of it was off our own back for a while um, you know, we were kind of funding it ourselves, and we did end up partnering with a with a startup um, accelerator, uh, incubator, sorry, um, and a, a lot of it was off our own back as well. And, and we, of course, had responsibility to them, um, but it's certainly not uh, in the same level that we have responsibility to our investors now. Um, you know, particularly with the with the recent round, two and a half or two point six million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we're
1: doing everything we can to make sure that but that money's worth it. Could Hum be what it is today if you'd stayed in Perth? I think our business is weird. Like I (laughs) agree with answering this question because I don't want to give any kind of impression that Perth is a bad place to start a business or Mm. even a startup, nor that people from Perth are in any way kind of, I think the conversation tends to be um, like bad at this kind of stuff. In fact, I think Perth is peculiarly good at Mm. doing innovative things, but um, no, I don't think our business would have existed in Perth. Um, we are at the confluence of medical device, hardcore neuroscience, um, consumer hardware company, um, and like high growth tech startup. And there's just this unique capacity of San Francisco to provide a lot of the things that we need from the, the dearth of investors who are crazy enough to invest in things that are going to take 10 years to build into billion dollar businesses to uh, customers with money and the forward thinking. Um, nature to kind of be the early testers etc etc the talent the the people who have done hard startups like what we're doing who are are like successful and have learned from their mistakes Mm. there's a lot of things that are not in Perth that we need Um, there are a lot of things we did need in Perth and we're a Perth startup Um, but uh, I don't think our business would have done as well in Perth and that's the reason we moved also, the science that we're working with is here. The UCSF lab is the world centre of the technology. So, no, but um, I do think there are a lot of really good opportunities
0: there. So, don't misinterpret that, anyone. Now, what do you need more of, money or patience? Ah. <laughs>
1: that's a good one. Yeah, that's a, that's a one to think about. Um, <laughs> I don't think that all the money in the world could solve a lot of the problems that you have in a startup. Like someone having the resilience to deal with the rollercoaster that I mentioned earlier and mm. come from money, you know, you can pay really good quality people who've done it before, but if your idea is hard enough, it's not going to see them through. Mm. Uh, especially when there are other opportunities um, all over the place from Amazon and Google and stuff that people can readily access. Um, patience, I, I would say is one, I think probably resilience is more important. I think sure. patience, kind of like a passive version. Resilience is where you're actively pushing yourself to put yourself in really hard situations and come out of it mellow <laughs> rather <laughs> than insane. <laughs> um, and, and like Andy mentioned, you're taking money from people and making promises about things that are very illogically difficult um, compared to just having a job. Um, and those kinds of things really just stack up on you. So yeah, I really do think resilience is really important. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's well said, Ian,
2: and may, maybe not, not to cast a negative light um, on patience, but, you know, patience can can be a good thing or a bad thing as well. I think that there's definitely tendencies are founder to um, sort of become lost in your own vision of your idea. Um, sure. and if you stick with things for too long, then you can actually find that that will have a, a negative impact on, you know, both your, I guess, your personal circumstances, but then also the project itself. You know, I think the harsh reality is a, a lot of startups do um, wrap up or not make it. And, you know, we, we did have that. Uh, experience with picky um and if you're too patient with it you're, you're going to find that you end up just you know beating a dead horse <laughs> it's much more viable of, of you to, to move on um to maybe uh, begin another venture or you know gain experience um out there in the workforce as well you know th- th- those those are not you know options that I've ever looked down upon i'd say
0: yeah can we go, we'll go back in time a bit here i would love for you both to walk us through your time studying at uwa
1: so I arrived at UWA um, having been a massive nerd and having loved that at school. Um, I really studied hard to get in the law at UWA. I loved science and that's why I did my second degree in physics. Um, and was for my first year a dedicated student who turned up to the 7am Math 1010 lectures on <laughs> Monday morning. Um I remember but, Yeah, quickly <laughs> discovered that that wasn't the path for me in life. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it did pretty well that first year, but then started to derail a little bit when I discovered um, a couple of things that um, are complicated, but are, I think looking back a very valuable, I, um, I struggled with the stress of the uh, continually more difficult um, coursework, of course. Um, and, you know, like 50% of people drop out of law after the first year. Um, I um, got distracted by the social opportunities where I think there's an awesome amount to learn. And, I was on the Blackstone Fresher, Soci- Fresher Rep on the Law Society. Um, and I, I kind of co-founded with a couple other people um, a club, a revived a club that had been around at UWA in the 90s called the Electronic Music Appreciation Society. Yep. Uh, and I started business. And so I was doing all of those things while studying law and physics. Um, but I think UWA... Um, really changed me in a really positive way. It gave me an exposure to a lot of things that I hadn't had in school. Um, it was really satisfying to get to try a lot of things with the clubs and societies and the guild um, and, and studying, meeting different people. Um, I think um, getting the opportunity to travel during holidays and stuff like that was really good um, to, to study in other places. Like I went to Beijing um, with the UW Law Program. Cool. So it was great. And it really prepared me well for a startup. Um, I don't think that everyone goes to university and comes out prepared for a startup, but people <laughs> who go in and make value by finding different opportunities amongst all the disparate interests that they have that they've never realized before, mm-hmm. I think do come out prepared well for a startup. So my experience was good. Yeah. Yeah. My experience was, was really good too. Um, so
2: it, it, it was a long experience as well. So I studied at UWA for seven years. Um, I did a double degree. I did mechatronics engineering and also an arts degree with a with a major in um, Indonesian. And so, I yeah, uh, you, Ian, you mentioned math ten ten. I too remember attending the math ten ten lectures in Octagon. Uh, so all, all the seats were taken, so we had to sit on the floor. That was a that was, that was, that was a great time. Um, and for for me, I, I think for the first four years. Um, I would say I followed the, part, the quite a standard path I, my grades were steadily getting better um, I was really enjoying my coursework uh, I really liked how the arts classes balanced out the engineering classes as well so really kind of in that cadence um, in my fifth year I, I I kind of I kind of fell off the wagon a bit um, I actually had a bad breakup with a girlfriend and then I was, I was sort of you know thinking about what I was going to do with my future and um, ended up not doing too well in the, in the fifth year of uni um and that sort of left me in a spot where i was i was really looking for my passion and and Mm -hmm. looking for where i could apply myself um i kind of got back on the wagon when i joined the uwa motorsport team um but we were in the electric division um and so that was a that was a fantastic time um the uwa motorsport team the internal combustion team they won the world championships in 2008 so it was very prestigious and it was a good thing to be involved with um we went in that team though, we're on the electric side. And so there was this, this sense of, you know, being involved in, in uh, around really smart engineers, a successful team, um, but also building something new. I think that for me, that's where I really found my footing. Um, and looking back on it now, a lot of the schools I went there were really re- relevant to startups. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We needed to call for sponsorships about electrical mm-hmm. cables, all <laughs> that sort of stuff. We were, you know, managing teams of people, um, and just trying to achieve this seemingly impossible task of getting this
1: electric car over to Melbourne for the FSA competition. I should um, add too that. I think Tim and Ahmed would say the same thing. Our other co-founders mm-hmm. and, and Chris too, although he went to Curtin, we forgive him um, <laughs> uh, at Tim at university was head of the surgical society when he was studying medicine and was involved in lots of random research opportunities that came up while he was a medical student and hum came out of one of them mm-hmm. Ahmed was involved in the motorsport team. And that was where we'd been friends for a long time, but mm-hmm. I saw him lead a team of engineers and really focus on a goal. And I was like, this guy could be the right guy for our startup. And Chris, the club EMAS that I mentioned, the Electronic Music Appreciation Society, which runs these big festivals at campus um, to do with electronic music. Um, I actually met Chris when we franchised it and took it to Curtin University as well. Um, he was the first president. So um, not only does Humo everything to UWA, um, it just wouldn't exist
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. amazed that you both have said how you studying there has prepared you, I guess, for the startup life, but was the startup life always something that you considered because like within, you know, you wanted to, to do law. Like at what point did you think, you know what, I'd love to run my own business.
1: You know, the one thing that it didn't do, it didn't give us the idea that this was a valuable, like viable path for us. Mm. I think we were unlucky. These days they have the bloom, uh, uh, thing at St. Katz, the, this organization that was started by a couple of visionary young people a couple of years ago, um, which runs even a, a course you can take at UWA to get credit to start a startup. Um, and the, the idea, like, you know, companies like Hum, there are a couple of others that we always like catch up with um, have kind of become celebrated. And mm-hmm. Canva is doing much better than Hum so far. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, back in, back in my day, I don't know whether I was blind to it. I don't think I was but I didn't think that startups and entrepreneurship were celebrated. I thought research um, and traditional industry, which have a lot of innovation and I'm not going to discredit mm. the mining industry, um, you know, the motorsport stuff that went on, et cetera. Um, I just don't think that it was, it was in front of our faces, that it was mm-hmm. possible. You know, it was this thing that Steve Jobs did and <laughs> the, the crazy people in California. And there were some yeah. startups, but they weren't celebrated like they are now and um, you can't, turn Perth into Silicon Valley of the night. I don't even think you want to.
2: I think for, for me, like one of my biggest strengths is that I'm very almost like obsessively single pointed, focused on one thing, but that's also one of my weaknesses as well. Um, to, to kind of add on to what Ian was saying before, um, I, I, I would agree that the idea of making something, making your own company, making your own business did seem really far away. I think certainly when I was younger and starting, I, I didn't really have any idols that I could look to within Perth. Um, that did a similar thing or even within Australia that, that did a similar thing. It was all, you know, it was all getting mining jobs at Rio Tinto and, and, and BHB. Mm-hmm. And I, I really did want to do that for a while, but it was only when I got the taste of um, what it felt like to kind of take ownership of mm-hmm. a really hard problem, do your best through the
1: motorsport that, that I, I kind of wanted to continue that path mm-hmm. in, in, in my life. I should add something, which is really important. If we leave out, we'll be, we'll be ashamed that we did. We actually have got a lot of direct support from UWA. Um, UWA Innovation Quarter with Joe Hawkins and Hybin have Mm. constantly tried to find ways to help us and introduce us to people and and things like that. Bloom, Armour did the Bloom unit, um, and we learned a lot from that. We we won the pitch competition at Bloom and got a lot of confidence pitching out of that. Mm. Um, You know, we talked to UWA, we had a UWA um, neuroscientist on our advisory board at one point. and we talked to the UWA commercialization people to help us get that done. There, there has been a lot of direct contribution. Even the media office from UWA, you know, back in twenty seventeen, we were in front of six or seven million people on the national TV t- for Channel Two, Channel Seven, and Channel Nine, and that was because UWA wrote a press release about us. And at that point, we were sitting in a basement, um, just scrapping together random electronics um, and trying to replicate <laughs> other scientists' yeah, study. Wow. So, you know, UWA went far and beyond to help us, and we owe a lot to UWA. Yeah,
2: awesome.
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and to add to that, too, I would say, you know, those, those
2: comments I was making before was more more sort of just the, the, the context and, and being in Perth in general. Even for, for picky, UWA played an instrumental role as well. I mean, we met the, um, the CEO of the startup incubator at a Bloom event, which was held at St. Cat's. Um, we had a advisor um, who was an expert in um, 2D and moving on to 3D facial recognition. Um, and that, that was just through, you know, using my student email to, to contact him. Um, <laughs> there's been, you know, countless opportunities um, that have arisen from UWA, both for picky and then for hum as well. Um, so I, I think it's, it's certainly empowered us to, to be all the way over in Silicon
0: Valley today. That's huge. Now, let's go back to, to Hum and the product because, you know, Hum is the maker of the first affordable wearable patch for providing electrical simulation to your brain. Was the plan always to create a patch as easy as sticking on a Band-Aid?
1: Not at all. Yeah. That was part of the roller coaster that made my hair fall out.
0: <laughs> um,
1: we've been a hardware company and a software company at different points, and we've been making different hardware and different software at, at different points. Mm-hmm. the thing that's always been the same is we saw the potential in this field and the actual specific technology of neurostimulation but um other than that we've been trying to find the place to make it really like launch we know a lot of places it would be useful if it got wide adoption mm-hmm. it doesn't want 20 percent improved working memory it's useful in a lot of places but it, it does require um the acceptance of of all of the scary weird stuff about like electrocuting your brain and having Mm -hmm. to pay to use it and stuff so it's been a long journey i'll I'll spare everyone the kind of ins and outs of the the four years but basically we were building something expensive and hard to use and quite scientifically technical and then we realized we didn't need to do that we actually just needed to make it easy for people to feel the benefit and the way that we did that was by some really hard r&d that andy leads actually (laughs) and to do with um, making it a, a much cheaper thing while still being good quality and much easier to use. Whereas previously it was a headband that cost a couple of hundred dollars, took 10 minutes to set up, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You had to collect to your phone. Now it's a little Band-Aid style patch um, that looks a lot sexier than a Band-Aid. <laughs> but um, it works about as easy as a Band-Aid. It's about as scary as a Band-Aid compared to the electric chair or the other things people think about when they think about. Yeah. <laughs> <or> electric- <laughs> Um, and that's transformative. That's that's fundamentally HUM's step one in our kind of Tesla-style 10-year plan. It's our roadster. It's the thing that shows that this stuff can be useful to people in the real world rather than just in a lab. Um, and then we have some big plans, which we're very excited about to go from there. Mm.
0: Now, Andy, how much does each patch cost and how many times per day should users be using it?
2: Yeah, yeah, they're, they're great questions. So... We so one, one of the biggest things uh, that, that we're aiming for with this product is a low cost product. Um, we find that um, out there in the market, there's so much you know novelty with this, there's so much um, interest in wanting to try it. So we're working our hardest every day, trying to trying to make this as um, affordable as possible. Um, we are aiming for each individual patch to be between five and ten dollars. Um, we're not completely there yet, but we're. Um, I, I, I think we're, we're definitely going to achieve that. Um, in terms of how often to use it, uh, what we recommend is uh, up to three times a day. I think that um, the, the main drivers behind that is that uh, per fifteen-minute session. So you put the you know you put the patch on your head, you activate it. It'll stimulate your brain for fifteen minutes. Um, you'll get up to ninety minutes and potentially even more um, time of an increase of working memory. Um, so if you're doing it three times a day, that's already four and a half hours. Um, there should be no physiological downside to using
1: it more. Um, we just think that three times is a, is a good sober amount. <laughs> for people using that. And so just like a mental model that we found useful for explaining it. It's kind of like um, an expensive cup of coffee, like a fancy cup of coffee from uh, Gloria Jeans, I guess. Um, we think about Starbucks now. <laughs> um, that you use when you need it most yeah. to get. Uh, a benefit that nothing else gives you. You know, you could meditate for half an hour, or you could chuck on a hum patch. That kind now, of thing.
0: How do the testing? How does the testing happen? Do you test on on yourselves? Do you bring in, in I guess, guinea pigs for the do test? streams? You know, we're we're a science company at
1: heart, and and um, our white paper downloadable from ThinkHum.com on the science page really details the um, uh, the the clinical style tests that we've done. Um, over the couple of years that we've been doing this. And um, we also have customer experience testing. You know, you actually need to find out how people use the stuff as well as whether it works and, and how to build it in a way that suits them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also all kinds of other testing that we do to do with like how do we brand it so that it's right for people and stuff. But um, in essence, we've had about a thousand people now try the stimulation method that we use in the iterations over time of, mm-hmm. of the patch. Um, and we've never seen any serious side effects. Um, The most anyone's ever had has been a headache, and it's been much less than kind of the normal amount that people get a headache kind of thing. Um, We've never seen anything really concerning, like a loss of any other cognitive functions or side effects. Only really have we seen people have positive effects um, to do things like improve their ability to learn, um, with people studying for, like, CPAs and stuff like that um could learning to code um to remember more of what they read when they're reading like difficult non-fiction with a lot of doctors who read the latest studies and need to adopt those methods in the in the clinic and those kinds of things yeah
0: now we talk about how it's as easy as sticking on a band-aid is it a one-use product just like a band-aid
1: yeah, So we made it we made a tough decision which is part of what um are kind of innovating on Hmm. was to to, to, um diverge from the previous way of doing things which was to make devices that were premium feel um like expensively made and therefore they thought that those companies that had made them thought that they could sell them to people who are high net worth we made the decision to try and democratize the technology to make it accessible to normal people mm-hmm. to try at least. It does get expensive you use it for years with the subscription model that we have, which is a disposable product. Yes. Um, but we're going to be releasing more products at a time to solve that problem. And um, the, the hard decision has a couple of negatives and a couple of positives. The positives are it makes it so simple. It is literally as easy as a band aid. Um, it's cheap. Um, it's, there's no kind of, hard thinking you have to do about when you're going to do it in the day, how you're going to carry it around that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, when you're going to recharge it, etc. The negatives are, you know, we have, we're, we're conscious of the environmental impact of disposable electronics and taking that head on. We're working on the battery technology and the, the circuits that we use and the methods of, of making the patches to make it environmentally conscious. Yep. Um, and then also cost conscious. It's a really difficult proposition to make something for $5. Um, that people can buy for five dollars, not even to make it for five dollars. Um, that is as complicated as this. That has all of the safety controls and things that we have in it. So tough decision, but um, it's our it's our contribution to the field of neurostimulation to try this method and see if it sticks. Um, and from what we've seen so far, with about a thousand people's worth of testing, people will love it. It's um, just a significantly better form factor than what's come before.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, I guess the 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 mission at home is to get as many people benefiting from neuroscience and technology um, as possible, right? And I think part of the challenge we have is sort of introducing this to a market that sort of doesn't exist yet and that's that's growing. Um, I I would say an analogy that we use internally is that um, when we when we were back building our you know more expensive uh, reusable headband and device, an analogy that we use internally is that. We we're trying to sell people an espresso machine before they even knew what a coffee was, um, and so what we really want to do there is educate the market, um, get people on board, show people that it's a it's a very safe, um, a very effective type of technology, um, and once we grow that user base, to introduce much more complex and functional products.
0: Now, one thing from a user base standpoint is the U.S. Air Force. You've sent a substantial orders from them. How important is it for? organization like the u.s air force to have customers like them like does it legitimize your product it does it does and it doesn't um so we're we're a really
1: interesting company in some ways because we're trying to democratize a technology that's very new Mm. you're trying to jump from like early adopters straight to mass market in a way which is not the common way of doing things um the, the 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 reason that it's not necessarily just unique only positive is that we don't want we don't want people to think that we're only for air force pilots or ceos or Mm. you know like top performers we're building this technology to be for normal people white collar Mm. workers who are pushing their brains in in their daily lives um and so we need to have partners other than the u.s air force Mm. we we took on the u.s air force before anyone else because well firstly they were prepared to pay before we would actually delivered the manufactured product and collaborate with us on, on some clinical trials um, that are in under the works for 2021 as a result of COVID. Um, but um, also just because yet yeah, the cool factor, um, other partners are more willing to sign up. We have corporate partnerships going on, which is tied ahead of partnerships um, that require some kind of like evidence of someone else having done it. mm-hmm. It's always the thing that people are looking for and, and yeah. doing benefit. So it's really good um, in summary, but, um, it's not the only kind of thing we want to do. We want to do much more. Now,
0: what about barriers? Uh, What was HUM's biggest barrier that you, that you did break down?
1: Yeah. Interesting. I think the weirdness of the technology, like we're, we're partly an education company in a way because, um, people don't actually get taught much about their brains in high school and not many people study neuroscience. So, um, we have to teach people a lot and both of them to, to, to see the credibility and, and sign that the transparency that we bring is, is pretty new and hard. Um, you've got to figure out how to explain double blind placebo controlled trials with multiple electrical stimulation parameters of the prefrontal cortex, etc., cetera, um, to people in a way that makes them feel like you're doing something safe and credible, which is what we are. Mm. Um, but also um, I think just the we've been pretty courageous uh, if I do say so myself in terms of um, going to a disposable product it's mm-hmm. not an a uh, thing without its positives and negatives, um, and no one's been prepared to do that before, but I think a lot of people will be doing it in ten years, sure um, yeah,
0: so what's next?
1: yeah. Um, well we're here for good um, we to be a Berkeley company for uh, a long time we love Berkeley, we love UC Berkeley um, and, uh, and we've got a lot of growth to go through in the next three years we're launching our product mid next year about, thereabouts in the meantime doing our alpha and our beta um, we're um, always raising money it's an expensive thing to do hard science and, and hardware um, we're, we're growing our team we've just added uh, a pretty awesome COO we will be announcing soon, um, CTO as well, and uh, a VP of marketing. Um, we just had uh, an experienced head of partnerships join the team. Quite a couple of engineers um, to work with Andy, and and really we're in we're still in an R and D phase, but the public launch and then the work on the second product, which is going to be even more exciting, is kind of what we're thinking about on the horizon right now. Hmm.
2: So yeah, from from my side as well. The like, what what's what's next? Um, my my answer is not sort of as as inspirational as Ian's there, but I what what I worry about it every day is not just making hundreds of these patches, but making tens of thousands of these patches. So that's what I can't wait to. Hundreds know. of thousands, <laughs>
1: <laughs> hundreds
2: <laughs> of thousands, millions. I, I want to get this damn patch into as many hands as as I can. Um, but not just that, though, you know, we, we really want we're, we're a science company at heart and we really want to be contributing back to the science. We want to be enabling, um further research into working memory, into transcranial alternating current stimulation um, and our, our, our products and variations of our products uh, certainly have the capability to, to, to do that. So I just I just want to blaze ahead. I, I just want to get as many people wearing this um, I Just want to get as many tests with the patch um,
0: and so that we can you know really contribute back to the field. Is there a dream of you to see an octagon theatre full of students wearing the Hum patch? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) An octagon theatre is worth of Zoom-based students, it
1: seems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If we ever get back into the octagon, yeah. yeah. Now, what's the one thing our listeners should know about Hum that they can't find on Google?
1: I guess that it's like a company built by a couple of people who aren't crazy, but what we're doing <laughs> is crazy. Like, we're, we're actually just pretty normal people. Um, Andy's an engineer who graduated from UWA. I'm, uh, uh, I guess, an entrepreneur. I've done a couple of businesses. Tim, a, a medical doctor, who's still a practicing doctor. I'm um, um, an engineer who kind of decided he wanted to go on investment banking. You know, we're, we're just normal students who turned into normal professionals who turned into crazy startup people. Mm um and we're not like sometimes we get heat for um being a little bit crazy kind of like trying to push too hard you know tall poppy syndrome (laughs) what it is like um people people say you know um how do you know what you're doing you're not like Stanford neuroscientists kind of thing but we're, we're doing pretty well um and and I think it really comes down to the fact that if you really believe in yourself and push yourself and are humble and try to learn really fast you can actually do a lot more than you might assume in your life um, mm-hmm. we are just a couple of normal guys from the WA who are now like running an awesome company um, doing incredibly difficult awesome stuff and yeah I don't think you could find that on Google because you know we, we pretend that we're <laughs> incredible <laughs> gods um, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough on the inside you know like personal challenges professional challenges um financial challenges Mm -hmm. and all of the above and many more um it's not an easy thing but we we get it done yeah and i i
2: think i think that's a really good point you know i mentioned before that going through my engineering degree i I didn't have a lot of uh people that i could sort of look up to or even relate to you know i i really hope that you know when we when we appear on shows like this and and talk about hum that we do come across as these people that you can relate to i mean Mm -hmm. You know, I like, you know, I, I got addicted to the Guild coffees. I'd, I always bought chilies for five bucks. Um, I, I had <laughs> terrible study habits for most of my uni career. Um, and really, I think the only, the only reason I ended up where I am today is because I took a lot of risks, I think, in your early 20s is the, the absolute best time in your life to take risks. Um, and because I did what I really enjoyed at the time and just kind of threw myself
1: at it, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not any sort of, it's not anything more than that. Um, you know what, I really wanna add one more thing, which is that as proud as we are of ourselves to get to this point, and we don't consider ourselves successful yet, we're really still working towards our first launch of our first product and stuff like that. So we're, we're not any kind of like blinkers on about the fact that this is still a much, very much work in progress. Mm. Um, but as much as we're proud of ourselves for having got where we are, it really is the product of a small army's worth of work. All the people who believed in us, our families who supported us, mm. Um, and given us the confidence to try this, knowing that all of the financial risks and et cetera,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the many, many, many customers who have tried what we're doing, believed in us, given faith in us, uh, the investors who've given us millions of dollars, the um, advisors who donate heaps of their time, uh, it doesn't matter how much you pay them or give them equity, they, they're putting a lot more into it than they get rewarded for. Um, and Perth in general for like supporting us to get to where we are, and Berkeley for helping us go further. So, um, yeah, you won't read that online, but if you look into the history of Hum, you'll see that there's, there's this massive number of people that have helped us get where we are.
0: That's awesome. Now, that's all the time we've got, Andy and Ian. But if people want to find out more about Hum, or hey, let's—they might want to sink some uh, seed funding into you. What's the best place to, Where's the best place to visit? Mm-hmm. Well um, we're always actually welcome to help people come over to California
1: um, San Francisco in particular if they have an idea or they just want to talk about how to do a startup they can contact us on LinkedIn by email um, think better at think, think But uh, if anyone's interested in our company, our product our science, the people we're working with uh, it's uh, think hum. Um, you'll find us on all of the social media. It's a good place to follow what we're up to and what we're thinking. Um, And then, um, yeah, definitely go on our website at thinkharm.com, download our white paper. Um, Our email addresses are there. You can apply for a job if you're interested in helping us, um, et cetera. We would love to welcome any support, but also really looking to give back to Perth and the community. So ask us to help
0: and we'll do it. Perfect. Andy and Ian, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Cool, thanks Josh.